Genesis 15, text that Walden read for us a bit ago. Genesis 15, a pretty weird passage. And uh, I hope I will be able to help you see how it makes a little bit more sense in the context of what God is doing. Welcome again to this service. I've enjoyed singing with you, communing with you, praying with you, giving with you. And now I get to study God's Word together with you, and I thank you for being here. You used uh, the word covenant in the last seven days, maybe? Maybe? Maybe. If you're in, I don't know, it's still used in some places, right? I mean, maybe in, in a legal setting sometimes? Sign a rental contract? Does it maybe use the word covenant? I, don't, I really don't know. We don't use the word a lot. Don't use the word much at all. In fact, we most often use it, I guess, today in a, in a wedding. Sometimes it's used in a wedding, especially a religious wedding, where husband and wife make covenant with each other. That involves all sorts of commitments and obligations. And it's a covenant. And, and, and the word covenant usually isn't even used in a marriage unless it's a religious ceremony. So covenant. I don't know if you remember back a few weeks ago, some of you, some of you may remember we did a couple of lessons with these words that tie the Bible's theme together, this overarching biblical narrative from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is the one story, you know, I believe it's one story, and it fits together so beautifully and it encourages my faith and your faith, I hope, as we think about how it all works together and fits together because it's one God who's making it all happen. And so we chose a couple of words. By the way, I got the idea for that. I get sermon ideas from a billion different places. And uh, that one came from a guy named Tim Mackey. He has a podcast called Exploring My Strange Bible, which I would recommend to you if you're a podcast kind of person, Exploring My Strange Bible by Tim Mackey, a series called The Language of Faith. But anyway... Uh, there, there are some different words that you can use. And the two we did before the end of the year were holiness. Remember that? Don't tell me if you don't remember. It's okay. Holiness and glory. I think you may remember the glory. That's the kavod, the heavy. Remember that? Some of you were here. Don't tell me if you don't remember. Glory. And we talked about holiness. And it's interesting how some of these words are used at various points in the Bible. And what they do is they show us what God has always been doing. God has been working one story. He's been, he's been, doing, this, he's been doing this narrative from Genesis 1, Revelation 22, and on beyond, and we're the recipients of it now. We find ourselves, I like that metaphor, by the way, and, uh, because, because I think it helps us to see. We're a part of the story of God. And one of the most important questions you can ask is, where do I fit inside that story? This isn't just about you know, coming to church. I hope you don't see your... Your faith is just like something you do on Sundays and it's a, a, a box you check on a census questionnaire. What are you religiously, you know, it's, it's, you're a part of the greatest story ever. God is working a story and you're in it. You're a character in the story. God has got you positioned there because he's joined hands with you. So our word today is covenant, covenant. And it's a word that's used all over the Bible, and it's used in different ways. Sometimes it's used in, in pretty simple ways. We might, we might uh, call it a contract, like in the Old Testament, when Solomon made a contract, a covenant. It's called a covenant. He made a covenant with Hiram, and they were going to exchange. Um, Hiram had, in that part of the world, Solomon was going to 
he was building the temple, needed a bunch of wood. And Hiram had a bunch of wood, so they made a contract. And the, and the contract was, Hiram, you give me the wood and I'll give you the gold. That's the way the contract worked. And they shook hands on it or whatever, and it was a contract. It was a covenant. It's called a covenant in the Bible, but we would call it more of a, of a contract. Now, sometimes, though, in the Bible, the word covenant is used with all sorts of sacred implications. And Genesis 15 is one of those. By the way, God is, in, in a vast majority of the times where covenants are being made in the Bible, God is the one who's instigating the covenant. God is almost always the covenant maker, and he's the covenant keeper. Now, that brings us to Genesis 15, which we've already read, so I'm not going to read it all for you again. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, before we get to Genesis 15... You got covenants all over the Bible. Four of the main ones in the Old Testament. Remember this one? At the, after the flood, Genesis 9, God made a, God made a covenant with, with Noah, the Noahic covenant, it's, it's called. God made a covenant with Abraham. We're going to look at this here. He, he made a covenant. It's confirmed and reaffirmed in lots of places. That covenant, Genesis 12, I'm going to make you my people. You and your descendants are going to be my people. I'm going to give you this great land. I'm going to bless the world through you. So the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. You got the covenant with Israel. We call this one usually the Mosaic covenant because God gave it through Moses to Israel. So you got that one. And then you got the Davidic covenant. In 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant with David. Uh, you're going to be the king and I'm going to always have a king sitting on your throne, the Davidic throne. And so you've got the Davidic covenant. So you've got lots of covenants. These are big deals in the Bible. We'll talk about specifically one of these, and then we'll get to Luke 22 in a minute and talk about the covenant under which you and I live. Now, so Genesis 15. Genesis 15, weird story, weird story, covenant-making, covenant-confirming ceremony that God has with Abraham. Okay, so we read it earlier, and I hope you paid attention as Walden was reading this because it really has some really strange stuff to it. It's really got two parts to this. First part of this is, you know, God had made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to bless the world through you. That, that's pretty important stuff to remember. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. And I'm going to bless the world through you. The three, three things God made, promises he made to Abraham. Now, two of those are mentioned here. And the first part of that is a great nation part. Genesis 15, the great nation part. You know what one of the prerequisites for being a great nation in biblical times when God said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, I'm going to give you thousands and thousands of descendants. They're going to be like the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky, uh, dust of the earth. You know what one of the first prerequisites of having thousands and thousands and thousands of descendants is having the first one. It's kind of important. Abraham's pretty old. Doesn't have any kids. So he comes up with a plan, and, uh, and the plan is, Lord, it's obvious, I'm not going to have any kids, I'm too old. And, uh, but, but I've got this servant, and this was not completely out of the customs of the day. Uh, uh, um, Eliezer, uh, he, can, he can be the one. You can, you can fulfill your promise through him, Lord. That'll, that'll work out fine. God says, no, no. It's not going to happen. It's not, this man will not be your heir, verse 4. And then he took him outside. This is pretty, pretty cool. T takes him outside and he, and he shows him all the stars of the sky. And I can imagine, only imagine what that would be like. You and I live in a world with light pollution and we live not in the most populated part of the world by, by far, but we, we live in an area where there are a lot of lights, a lot of people. 
And uh, it's kind of hard to see what Abraham saw. If you've been to some places, you may have been able to witness something like what he saw. Or you see one of the images from a Hubble telescope. And you're looking up there into the solar system. And you've got the, just millions and millions and millions of stars. So I don't know what Abraham saw. But I'm guessing it's probably a little bit more impressive than what I see when I stand outside my house and look up there tonight. He saw a lot of stars. Whatever it was that impressed him. Because I love his answer. Because um, God said, you know, this is how many, this is how many descendants you're going to have. You count, count the stars, Abraham. Count them if you can. This is how many you're going to have. So shall your offspring be. And, and this is an off-quoted, very important verse in the Bible, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham says, he believed the Lord, or, or the text says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's very important in Romans. And I love that verse because it helps us to see You know what? Chalk this away in your mind. We won't dwell on it today, but chalk this up somewhere. Put it away in your mind. You know what God wants from you? One of the primary things God wants from you? You know what it is? He wants you to trust Him. That's what He wants. In fact, I would would say that's the most important thing He wants from you. Because if you trust Him, you know what's going to happen with your obedience? Yeah, you, you'll, you'll obey him. If you don't trust him, you're not going to obey him. He wants you to trust him. When he says something, he wants you to believe him. He wants you to know that God is a God who keeps covenant. He keeps his promises. And he doesn't make one that he forgets about. And he doesn't make a promise that he can't keep later on because something, you know, things change. And, uh, sorry, I messed up. I can't keep it now. It doesn't happen with God. God keeps all of his promises. He remembers them all. And he never has something happened that he didn't know was going to happen. It keeps him from keeping the promise. (coughs) So Abraham looks up there and sees the stars. I can't count them, but Lord, I trust you. And God credited that trust to Abraham as righteousness. And what that means is he credited Abraham's account. He He took the righteousness and he put it on his account. What is righteousness? Righteousness is right doing. But God said, Abraham, because you trust me, I am going to put that righteousness on your side of the ledger. That's a pretty cool thing. Paul, Paul goes crazy with that in Romans. So it's a great idea. All right, so that's the nation promise. Now the second promise is um, down below this. God goes on and he says, okay, Abraham, I'm going to give you the land. You know, the, the land that I promised you. I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. And, and Abraham, for whatever reason, I don't know what it was, Abraham questions this. He doesn't question the I'm going to give you a kid thing. Just God just said. But, but now God says I'm going to give you this land to possess. And this is where Abraham questions God a bit. He says, oh, Lord God, verse 6, no, verse 8. How am I to know that I shall possess it? It's probably the weirdest answer in the Bible. The first part of this, God says, this makes sense. You don't have any kids right now. Okay, but, but look at the stars. There's a connection there. You see how many stars there are up there? You can't count them. You can't count how many kids you're going to have. I, I can make that connect. All right, so, so God says, I'm going to give you the land. Abraham says, how, how, how am I going to know this is going to happen? God says, okay, do this. Get a heifer. 
And what? Get a female goat, both of them three years old. Get a ram, it's three years old. Get a turtle dove and a young pigeon. You, you confused yet? I don't have any kids, Lord. How am I going to look at the stars? That's how many you're going to have. How am I going to know you're going to give me the land that you promised me a few years ago, Lord? Okay. Get a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. <clears throat> and here's what I want you to do. Here's what he does. He brought him all these, and he, and he cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. I don't know if they're, are they hopping around? I don't know. Bible doesn't tell us everything. We I guess they're dead. I guess he wrung their necks, you think? I don't know. All, all sorts of questions here. This doesn't make sense. He didn't cut the birds in half. And when birds came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. It's just the weirdest thing ever. And the sun's going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. The Lord started speaking to him and all this. Now, the thing is, and here's what I want you to know. <coughs> this is important for us. Because you got this, and this is the weirdest thing ever, because if I made a contract with you, you know, we're going to go in business today. And you say, well, how are we going to make the contract? Well, I'll tell you what, buddy. Go out and get you a three-year-old cow. And uh, get a three-year-old goat. Three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and a pigeon. And let's meet up at the, you know, let's meet up at uh, my backyard. Bring you a saw. Do you, do you know, it's a pretty big deal to cut a heifer in half. I mean, it's, that's not just, that's not something. You, you've been to, you, you, some of you grew up on the farm. You, you know it's like to, to, uh, to dress a hog or, or, to, or to dress a cow? It's a fairly fairly big deal, cutting, cutting it in half. And it's just, this is just weird stuff. But it's going to make sense in a minute. If you'll stay with me, at least it'll make more sense than it does at the moment. Now, this is what, what God assumes for his people and what God assumes for the people reading this is they were familiar with the world they lived in. And this was not, they wouldn't have thought this was that weird. Let me give you an example. We're going to go forward to Jeremiah, and then we're going to come back to Genesis 15. So I don't want you to leave Genesis 15 for good. I just want you to hop over to Jeremiah 34 for a minute. A little background here. Jeremiah 30, 34, something's going on. God had made them keep a, made them sign a promise. You know, the promise was after you've had servants or slaves, for a certain number of years, you've got to release them. And the kings had made that promise, but then the time had come and they went back on that promise in Jeremiah 34. They went back on the promise and they did not release the slaves and God is not happy with them at all. There's a lot more to this, but I want us to quickly just look at something. Jeremiah 34, look at verse 18. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. They broke the covenant. They, they, they didn't keep the promise that they had made. And so what, what God is saying to them is that you didn't keep the terms of the covenant that you made, and so I'm going to make them like the calf 
that they passed between. Now, we know this from passages in the Bible, but we also know it from passages outside of the Bible, just the ancient Near Eastern world. What would happen is, this was not just something that happened in Jewish circles, but they would make covenants, sacred, lasting, binding covenants. And they would take animals like this, and they would kill them and cut them in half. And then what would happen? Okay? Two people making a covenant. They would pass between them. All right, here they are. I'm pat, I've got half of a calf over here. I got half of a half, half of a ram and half a goat. And I got a turtle dove over here. And I got a pigeon and half of the other animals. And here you and I are. We're walking between the animals, the dead animals, the bloody animals. What's the point of that? The point of it in the ancient world was we are both walking, we're passing between these animals, and if either one of us breaks the covenant, you know what's going to happen to us? We are going to be like that dead animal right there. That's what God says in Jeremiah 34. You broke the covenant, and so you're going to be like the calf that you pass between. You see this? So the significance of the blood and the cut, the broken body, was that if you break the covenant, that's what happens to you. All right, so it makes a little bit more sense maybe. But maybe you're thinking, Chuck, if I'm being honest, I didn't show up for a history lesson or a lesson on ancient Near Eastern covenant making. You didn't show up for that this morning, right? Probably didn't. So where in the world, what in the world does this have to do with Christianity or any, anything beyond? Well, we're, we're, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about that. Now, back in Genesis 15, so we understand a little bit more about what's going on. The reason they're cutting up the animals and all that is it's, it, it uh, makes this a solemn occasion. This is a big deal. God is making, I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham. We're killing these animals. This is important. It's solemn. This is a huge deal, Abraham. You understand I'm going to give you this land, and this is how I'm confirming to you that I'm going to keep my covenant with you. But I want you to notice something else. It's fascinating here. So they've done this stuff, all right? And Abraham is fighting the vultures off and all that. And the sun is going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now here's the, if you're filling in the blank on the back side of the bulletin, there's, here, there's the fill in the blank word. You remember both parties, both parties passed between the animals. Both parties passed. What is Abraham doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. As the sun is going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, and I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. This is talking about Egypt. And after they shall come out with great possessions, that's talking about Moses and the Exodus. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down, all right, remember you got this important part of passing between the animals, right? What's Abraham doing? Abraham's conked out over here. He's sleeping. He's not walking between anything. Look what happens. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Not Abraham. 
smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. You've been around, you read your Bible long enough to know that when God shows up in some sort of manifestation, what do you normally have? Fire. A lot of times you got some smoke, you got some light, you got something, something like that. When God shows up on the scene, smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces while Abraham is over here passed out. God is the only one who passes through the pieces of these animals. I think there's something pretty important about that fact. And as Tim Mackey put it, guy I mentioned earlier, he thinks God wants it to be clear that the future of God's people does not depend on the faithfulness of the human being over here, but rather on the faithfulness of the God who's making the covenant. Abraham is sleeping and God is walking between the pieces of the animal. What's the important thing about that? God wants it to be clear. This covenant is going to be kept, Abraham, not because you or your descendants are going to be especially good at covenant keeping. You've read your Bible. Are Abraham and his descendants especially good at covenant keeping? Shake your head. You know it. They're not any good at it. So who's the one passing through the pieces here? The only one who's going to be faithful to the covenant, and that is God. Doesn't mean God doesn't care about our faithfulness. That's not the point. It's that the promises don't hinge on Abraham or his descendants being especially good at covenant keeping because they're not. They never were. They never will be. Now, let's go to Luke 22. We're going to finish up here, okay? Luke 22. Go with me there. I want to, I want to show you something. You may never have seen this before. I hadn't until this last week. Jesus comes along. <clears throat> He's gathering a people. He's got the 12 apostles. He's teaching and preaching. He's doing miracles and Amazing things. He's getting crowds to follow him. People start turning against him because they don't like his version of Messiah, you know. They don't like Messiahs to hang out with the wrong people. They, they like their Messiahs to be impressive, to be, you know, writers of white stallions and so on. Impressive physically and militarily and charismatically and so on. So he's not fitting the bill. So he's being rejected. But Jesus knows us, doesn't he? I mean, he knows the kind of people. He knows Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He knows the kind of people who are starting to follow him. He knows. He knows you and me, by the way. He can look down through history and he can see the church in every age. He can see the church of the first century. He can see the church of the 21st century. He can see the church at Hoover in 2018. He looks down through history and you know what he knows about people today? About the church today and in every era? We're not especially good at covenant keeping either. 
We're not especially good at it. We try. Sometimes we do pretty well. But if you're being honest with me and I'm being honest with you, we look back on our past and we recognize I'm not a very good covenant keeper. I'm not very good at it. I haven't done that much better than, if any better than the pages of the Old Testament. In fact, you know, you and I can find ourselves there, right? Sometimes we like to point our fingers at people in the Old Testament. Well, I never would have done that. Well, I don't know. You and I aren't that good at it either. So Jesus has gathered his people. He's gathering his people and he comes to the end. End by the fact that he's chosen, this is the time, he's going to allow the rebellion against him to reach its zenith point. He's going to be crucified. Before he's crucified on that Friday, he gathers that inner circle of his people, the apostles, the 12, into that upper room. And you've read the story. We just celebrated this in communion a moment ago. And I appreciate Reggie's tying in the idea of covenant with it. And, and I'm going to kind of come back to that and wrap this up for you tonight, for you this morning. But, but look at this. Luke 22, he's got the disciples in that upper room. By the way, just, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, just in case you might miss this connection. You probably wouldn't have missed it, but what do you have at the covenant confirmation ceremony? You've got the bodies of the animals and you've got the blood of the animals. You've got the party or the parties passing through the body and the blood, right? And here at Passover in Luke 22, Jesus gathers in that upper room with his disciples, with the apostles. Verse 17, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, take this. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying this, this cup that is poured out for you is the new, what? It is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, son of man, and so on. Uh, they began to question each other. They don't understand what's going on. But you and I have the whole story of the Bible. We can understand a little bit better than they could in that moment what's going on here. And what do we have? We have a covenant being made. This, this incredible covenant between God and us. This is the final covenant. This is the covenant confirmed by the Holy Spirit. This is the covenant that's confirmed not by the blood of a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old ram and a three-year-old goat and a turtle dove and a pigeon. This is God himself. This is the flaming pot. This is the, this is the flaming torch who's passing between the body and the blood. You see the symbolism here. He's going to the cross the next day and he's saying this body and this blood confirms and seals the covenant forever. You didn't do very well with a Noahic covenant. You didn't do very well with an Abrahamic covenant. You didn't do very well with a Mosaic covenant. You didn't do very well with a Davidic covenant. And I'm going to give you a better covenant. The book of Hebrews is all about this. I'm going to give you a better covenant sealed by the perfect lamb. But it kind, of, it kind of makes you think of Genesis 15, doesn't it? Because who passes, who passes between the body and the blood? It's Jesus. You and I didn't go to the cross. 
It's not our blood that was shed. It's not our body that was, if I may use the term, the phrase, it's not our body that was broken. You see, they broke the animals and there's the blood on the ground. They broke the body of Jesus. I know none of his bones were broken, but his flesh was broken. The body of, of Jesus was broken and the blood flowed down and the flaming torch passed between the body and the blood as the visible manifestation of God saying, I am making this final covenant sealed by the Holy Spirit, confirmed by the sinless blood of Christ that will purchase the church of Jesus Christ in whom all of my people will be. And it will happen not because you and I are good covenant keepers, but because God is the one who gives and sustains and keeps the covenant. Isn't this a beautiful thing? You and I are a part of this final everlasting covenant. You know, at some point you go back to this, though, and you recognize, man, on our end of this, though, we're not very good, and we're not, are we? We're not very good. What does God say to that? Oh, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I, I got, I'm, I'm the covenant keeper anyway, so have fun. Enjoy yourself. It's, it's, it's all good. You know that's not the Bible, don't you? That's not the way it works. We are in covenant with God, and part of that covenant is when, when we go to baptism. I mean, we, we, we go to baptism. We are passing between the, the body and the blood. We, we're going down to the waters of baptism. We're being washed over by his blood. We come out of there, and what we're saying to him is, I am going to keep covenant with you, Lord, and then we're going to mess up. And then we're going to fall. What does God say? I am faithful to everybody in the covenant. If you're in Christ, if you're in covenant with me, yes, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to fail. But you keep on trying to keep the covenant. God doesn't ever say it doesn't matter. You just do whatever you want to do. We're in covenant with God. And when you realize that, you spend your life trying to be faithful to the covenant, all the while recognizing your many shortcomings but trusting not in your ability to keep the covenant, but in the one who gave the covenant and who faithfully keeps it and will one of these days ratify it completely. God keeps covenant with us. And that's a humbling thing because we don't deserve it. We know better than any of, anybody else we know better than the Old Testament folks. But God, by His Spirit, who lives within His people, helps us keep covenant. He helps us walk in the light as He is in the light. He helps us confess our sins. And He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, First John 1. Beautiful thing about a covenant with God is the one you're making the covenant with will never fail. He will never falter. He will never waver. And if you're in Christ this morning, you're in covenant with him and you can take it to the bank that God is going to bless you more than you can even fathom being blessed. He calls on us to be faithful. He calls on us to be faithful. But our faithfulness is bound up in his faithfulness. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not a Christian... What, what, what we're here to do is to, in, in some sense, on God's behalf, it's not what, what I'm doing or what any of us are doing. 
That's what God is doing. What God is doing is he's inviting you to, to make covenant with him. He's inviting you to walk between the pieces. He's in, inviting you to walk between the, the body and the blood. He's inviting you to walk into the baptistry. He's inviting you to be immersed and to come out having the blood of Jesus washed over you by that water, cleansing you of all of your sins. God keeps covenant, and he'll keep every covenant that he makes with every one of you. If you need to make covenant with him, we invite you to come today. Nothing better for us than to be witness <clears throat> to that covenant ceremony that we could administer in just a minute. We invite you to do it. Maybe you need to come back to him. See, it's possible for you and me, having once been covenant in covenant with God, to have turned our backs on God and say, Lord, Lord I don't want to keep covenant with you anymore. I'm going to go back to the world. I'm going to live the way I wanted to live. I'm going to rebel against you. I'm going to make covenant with the world instead of with you. If that's your case, if that's your situation, God invites you back. You've broken the covenant. The great thing about God is he always forgives if you take a step back. Let's stand. Let's sing this song. If you need to come, I hope you will.